Hey everybody, Sonny here, and welcome to our first episode of Transcending Genres, where everyone's united through the love of music. Whether you're an artist, fan, producer, reviewer, manager, or anything else, our podcast is here to provide a voice for you. If you want to come on the podcast, email us at transcendinggenres at gmail.com or on Instagram at transcendinggenres. Now, the first episode, you know, it's always a bit important, and I think, uh, it's great that we're starting off local here in Rochester, New York with Alex Sturr. So tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, Sonny. Um, I, like you, went to McQuaid Jesuit. I graduated in 2011. And from there, I went off to the Crane School of Music at SUNY Potsdam to study music education. Uh, from there, I did a little bit of private teaching in the area, some substitute teaching. Now I work full-time at Norman Howard as a teaching assistant and their music teacher there. Uh, I just recently completed a master's in sound design for visual media and I've been playing with a rock band in the area for the last three years. So uh, I like all different facets of music and I try to stay involved in a lot of different ways around the area. All right then. Um, so that's interesting actually. You decided to go into the music education and it seems though like, you know, especially nowadays when it comes to like the new media that we have now with the internet or so some people feel like now maybe just with not just music but just college in general it seems like it may not be the most uh like important thing in the world so what made you decide to like go in that path anyhow to go into music education um well i had been a performer since like first second grade i had started playing i liked playing for my parents playing for my family then as I progressed through elementary school, I began doing competitions and stuff like that, where I got chosen for all state and all county bands, where I kind of grew a love for music in the performing sense. And then come high school, I began teaching at a Ishinru Karate Dojo, where I'd been, I, what did I do? I think I did that like first grade through 12th grade. And uh, come my junior year, I figured I would marry those two elements together, teaching and music. And then I talked to Kevin Karniski here about different music schools and what he thought on music education. And obviously he was pro crane and pro music education, excuse me, pro pro music education. Um, And yeah, I just figured I'd follow that path from there. Auditioned at a few different schools. And yeah, then I went through (laughs) the entire path. Well, um, is there, uh, like, any advantages, I would say, in terms of doing that? Is, uh, like, I know, like, I remember taking AP Music Theory. And so, the, I'd say an advantage yeah. is that you aren't limited to just education. You're given performance opportunities. You're given opportunities to explore music technology, stuff like that. So for me, uh, for, like, my senior recital, I was able to compose a marimba piece that was with an electronic tape. So it was nice that even though I wasn't given a lot of free time, I still had the option outside of school to talk to other professors about mixing and certain sound libraries to pull from and stuff like that. And you really, you just get a wide variety of genres within it because you want to be able to bring whatever you need to your students. So I guess that's probably a big perk there is that since music is so vast, you don't truly get limited to one path yeah that's definitely important like 
like that's what I'm hoping to do with this show is to show all different types of people in music because sometimes I think like we have the internet and all but sometimes like even though we get to we get to know so much more about music now it's just it seems people still like can find their own personal bubbles and they don't really look into anything else say like you know you're into rock you probably will just listen to rock and then not really try anything else out and like I don't think it's as big of a problem like right now but still like can be that way sometimes yeah well i get what you're saying i mean if you kind of just look at the country in general politically people kind of get stuck in their own views so i can see that that might happen with music that someone may say nope rock's the only thing for me or i'll only listen to uh, who's a big pop artist i don't know ariana grande you know you get you know what you like and you're not willing to try anything else out so i know what you're saying there yeah um so like for you, exactly. Like, I've known, like, you personally, like, you do a lot of different types of things. Do you have, like, any personal preferences, I guess, or... With, in what I do with music? Yeah, with just in music in general, like, because, um, obviously you do a lot of things, but obviously I think what's important, I don't know, for me, it's, like, what's important is, uh, to know those biases and then try to maybe... Yeah, so, I mean, there there is a hierarchy of what I like to do. I think performance is at the top of it because that's the oldest thing I've known. So whenever I get a chance to play a good show with my band, that, to me, tops anything else I've done. But I'm not willing to give anything else up. So in the end, like, if I had my life all together in, like, 10 to 20 years, I'd still be doing everything. You know, I'd have to pick one niche because, you know, you usually have to hone in on one thing to make money. You know, you got to be the yeah. best at one thing. But right now, I enjoy performing. I love having outlets to teach. I love that I'm able to do sound design, stuff like that. I still compose. I have stuff published through Kendor Publishing, uh, though I haven't been able to get to that in a while. So I'm hoping now that I'm done with school, I can start composing a little bit more again. But I guess there's certain elements within these subcategories of music, like within sound design, I really love music editing and recording versus creating soundscapes and stuff like that. Uh, but really, uh, the, the shortest way to answer your question, which I didn't do, is just that I want to do it all. So I haven't really found myself leaning towards one facet. I think that's interesting because uh, I do think like there's certain people, like they, they probably... Um you know, they, they're trying to, to do one specific thing and maybe they're not even necessarily happy with that. So like, I've always like, personally, just, I've been interested in like doing sort of maybe everything as well. And I think that's really cool to see that you're, uh, that you're able to maybe find that passion and right. I think yeah. you should do everything because the more you can do yourself, the more you can market yourself. Though in the end, you still, you want to find your one concrete, the one thing that makes you the best at whatever you want it to be, you know? You want to, that's why you want people to seek you out. It's like, oh, Sonny, he's the best sound recordist I ever came across. He's got the best podcast, you know, whatever. And then if you have other elements you can bring to the table, that's just another thing that's going to make you desirable. Yeah, no, definitely, like, because you have your own rock band as well, and I you know there's like certain. There's, it seems like a fair amount of bands just want to personally just do that for the rest of their life, and that's it. So, 
That's really cool. So I, I'm actually interested, though. How did uh, Steadwells come about, exactly? Uh, okay, so our front man, Ryan Warren, all three of us actually were McQuaid grads. Wow. So uh, Brendan, who's Ryan's brother, he graduated in 2007, I believe. He was four years ahead of us. But Ryan and I had been playing together since middle school when we were at Siena Catholic Academy together. And that kind of stuck all through high school. I think I've been in five bands with Ryan with a number of other people scattered in. But uh, I think it was my junior year of high school, I started a band with Ryan and Brendan. And then another McQuaid grad, Stephen Burke, who now still plays locally with a bluegrass group called Honey Smugglers. Uh, but the four of us were in a group called Accident on Brunswick. And we, we made some headway for, you know, high school students in Rochester. And one funny story I remember from that group is that we entered a high school battle of the bands. Uh, it must have been 2010 because we were still together then. And we were all set to win the competition, but it was a high school competition. And the, the other two were four years ahead of us. They were seen grabbing a beer over at the bar. <laughs> and... That was automatic disqualification, but at least we picked up a lot of fans from that. And it was it just grew my love for playing with those guys. But that group disbanded. I went off to college. Uh, Brendan and Ryan continued to play in the area as a band called Machine Gun English. And then when I came back to Rochester, their drummer had quit the band. I mean, coincidentally, at the same time I'm coming back, so Ryan's like, hey you're back in Rochester, right? You want to play around with us for a bit? And so I said, yeah, just kind of tentatively that I wasn't really looking to be in a group, but I loved doing it. It was just a reminder of how much fun I had with those guys when we were back in high school. And ever since we've just been growing, we changed our name to the Steadwells. And yeah, there's not really much else to it. We've just been able to play with some really good national bands, really good local bands. And we're just trying to build our name in the area and slowly expand our bubble. Yeah, that's really cool, actually. So I would like to learn more, actually, about the local Rochester scene because, like, I I was considering, like, I, I have a friend and we, we've been trying to do some music together and we were thinking of even trying to make it something more. So is there any advice you can give to, I guess, the local bands that want to try to um, continue in this direction or so? Yeah, I, there's kind of like a, a caveat at the beginning is when you're new to the scene, you're going to come across a lot of support, but also a lot of people that'll put you down too, because first of all, people are a little tentative with new things, but also you're going to be within a scene where everyone is new and there's a lot of competition really. So people are going to say like might say bad things about your group to other people just to try and promote their own and once you build your way into the scene there's always going to be that element but what i've noticed is that as we found our audience and we found other local bands that have done well in the area and have their scene as well everyone is very supportive of each other too and part of it is because there, there is less competition because everyone has found their own voice, but it's also a very eclectic scene, so people don't feel like there's a million rock bands all trying to push for like the top spot in the area. But just start playing shows. Don't turn... You can turn some gigs down, but try to take as many gigs as you can because at the beginning, you just want to be heard. 
you know so really just find your voice and be willing to play anything yeah I guess like it does seem as well though because when it comes to this whole local scene too because the like I'm going back to the internet or so it's like it does seem like those local kids may not always be as important to a lot of people as much just because like you could go on to say like a to SoundCloud or or Spotify just like put your music on there and maybe no you don't even need to have a scene like or a fan base in like your local area you can just like have it online I think there's some disadvantages to that though but yeah yeah. well the internet really is the biggest tool for independent artists uh, assuming that you know how to use it you know because it's so saturated SoundCloud Instagram Facebook which is now kind of dying for artists (laughs) it's not a top choice anymore but even like Twitter any form of social media like that is a huge tool but you really need to find your voice there and you need to know how to make noise online otherwise it's not gonna help you just due to how the number of people that are using it but like I said it's it's a huge tool for new artists I'm kind of losing my train of thought with that. What was the original question? I was just thinking because, uh, like, going back to the whole local scene, you were saying you should play the local shows because it seems oh, okay. like a lot of artists maybe not be aren't as really focused on doing the local scene anymore. And, like, why I'm thinking that is because I've heard, like, like I was listening to, like, other bands that said that that had, like, a following online. It's like they may it may not translate that well to real life when it comes to your shows. Basically, you may have a big following online, but maybe a few fans will be come out to you. Okay, yeah, it, it all depends on what you want to get out of it. So, yeah, the online stuff, you can reach a vast audience. You can reach people that are over in Europe, in South America. You can reach, I mean, people as close as like Canada, Mexico, other states within the United States. But, um, yeah, never, never give up the local scene because that... If you're looking toward becoming a signed artist or anything like that, that is what's going to prove to a label that you're worth signing. If you can pull out a thousand people at a local show, that's what they want to see. They don't care if you've played New York City, you've played Los Angeles, you've played Nashville, and then every time you go out there you play to like 10 people. They're not going to care where you've gone. They will look at your socials. So if you have people from all over listening to you, that's great. But when it comes to looking past the local scene and thinking, oh, we got to get on tour and play all these cities where people are listening to us, it's cool. You do need to play shows to get heard, but you're going to come out losing a lot of money. And it's stress that's not really worth it. You're not going to play to good audiences. You're going to get thrown at the worst time, you know. They're probably going to put you as the opening slot before anyone comes out because it. when you're t- thinking from the venue's perspective, they're there to make money. And they know that an out-of-town band that no one knows isn't going to make them money. So you're not going to receive the treatment you want. So really, um, yeah, stick with your local scene and do what you can online. And I'm not saying don't leave your city. You should. But start small. If you're from Rochester... Try Buffalo, Syracuse, try Ithaca, places that are close, you know, just an hour and a half drive. Then you get your audience there, your bubble grows a little bit. Then, okay, well, we're close enough to Pennsylvania, close enough to Ohio. Let's try Cleveland, let's try Akron, Columbus. Maybe let's go down to Pittsburgh 
or you can go to the other side of Pennsylvania, try out Philly, you know, eventually maybe you make your way to New York, though it's, it's again, like such a saturated scene there that it's almost not worth it unless you are a big enough band. Guys, um, so there were some technical difficulties and we lost half the recording of the last session, so we're just going to pick up of where we were. So I remember uh, looking at what we had, it was, uh, we were talking about why girls I don't think like, like distortion, distorted guitars anymore, apparently. Allegedly, that's what the, the A&R people say. Yeah, the A&Rs, yeah, that's uh, what I've been told, but don't really care. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't know, that that's just such a... That's such a weird thing to, I think, like, to say, because, like, I feel like there's some bands that, like, I know oftentimes, I think, like, depending on the genres, right, like, I know people think of, like, metal hardcore as being very predominantly male, and there's definitely a lot of truth to that, but I think, like, I don't know, I don't think, like, those artists are trying to be only, like, male-only artists, they're just... No, they're just creating art. Yeah, right? Like, I, even then, I know, I know there's, like... I feel like that argument doesn't necessarily make all the sense because there were bands that were, like, known for having a lot of female fans, like the hair metal scene, right? Like, that that was very... They have, they have like, distorted guitars in their music, so... Yeah, but that yeah. was 30 years ago, right? I guess so, yeah. Yeah, there was, there was, like, an evolution in sound where I don't even know if I fully believe it. That's just what I've been told. But I I can see how, just as a population in general people have been less conditioned to hearing the sound of a distorted or overdriven guitar. And we've geared a lot more t toward like electronic and synth sounds. So maybe that's where that argument stems from. Yeah. I guess like maybe on a, like if you're just looking at the, like the radio, I guess, but I would, I would still disagree. Cause like, um, uh, when I look at like metalcore, so especially like the, the newer metalcore, um, like, there was like that whole MySpace scene, and even then, like, uh, there were the bands like, uh, like Asking Alexandria, Bring Me the Rise, and they have some really like big female fan bases in that. Uh, even Post Hardcore as well, Pierce the Veil, Sleeping with Sirens, and all that. Like, would you consider they fit within the mainstream though? I would say uh, they ha they are more mainstream compared to to the um, to like you know everything else in rock but they aren't necessarily on the radio though and so it's like that's where i think it's like you know female like basically i think like there's still like there's still i think females that like distorted guitars because that's just how i think people are well, yeah it's not a general or it's not specific to every single girl out there you know yeah. it's just kind of generalized also do you notice we like flipped roles for a second where i Asked you a question. Yeah. Again, interviewing you. Yeah, I know. Like I, well, that's just how I feel. Like that. I just think that whole. That's a very like big claim to make. You know, saying that. Yeah, but uh, half uh, the population. Yeah, I mean, this is just based on patterns that people within the industry have noticed. So I can't, I can't make that claim for myself, but I, I would believe it. I guess what, what yeah no I guess what helps though is well with those bands I think like when I'm looking more like Bring Me the Rise and Asking Alexandria in particular like they def they did add like some electronic elements too, so I think that does help in general just with that more people that are into like electronic pop and stuff to to get into metal I think I wouldn't be surprised if that was like some of their like first bands was the 
was the bands that incorporated electronics into their sound. Yeah, and part of that's just the evolution of of music and style, because bands have to get smarter to find ways to incorporate common day practices into their music. You know, and a lot of you watch a lot of performances now. A lot of drummers have synth pads as part of their kit. A lot of singers will incorporate synthesizers, or a lot of guitar players will also jump over to a synthesizer. And a lot of bands now, too, a lot of the really big bands you'll see, even um, like within the alt scene, like Young the Giant, everyone plays to tracks while they're playing live. So everyone's got the in-ear with a click, but we're so used to that studio sound that even within live performance, bands are starting to have to add all those extra elements. It It's usually like the, the backing vocals are added, so everything's perfectly in tune. There's synth layers that were done in the studio that get added to it. So there's things that not everyone thinks about, but these bands have to think about it because we've come so used to hearing this polished sound. Yeah, no, I, I agree, actually. Like, like I hear with even like those bands as well. Like, uh, I would say Bring Me the Horizon are more of a culprit of it than Asking Alexandria because like, I, I saw them at Warp Tour, actually. Uh, this was like one of the final years, and I felt like there's, like, generally speaking, yes, there may be some parts that were... They did, like the synths and all, but I think like in general, like when you hear the vocalist sing it, singing, you know, it's like, generally speaking, like I think that's still intact and it's it's a live performance. Yeah, there's still a, live, a huge live performance element to it, but it's common practice now to bring a bit of that studio side to your live performance. Yeah, I guess like that's something where it, I think that can be very scary because like, you know, it, it feels it's not as human, right? um in that regard because i well in a way it's it's kind of pushing the human element it's like how far how perfect can we make ourselves sound which is cool in one sense but it's also just making people used to hearing this polished sound so when you hear bands that are not in any kind of circumstance to do the same thing they can't even compare but the majority of people don't realize how much production goes into these huge live performances as well. So it helps and it hurts. It proves us to be more capable as, you know, a species, but it, by uh, comparison, by contrast, it just, I don't know. It doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't really help out the little guys. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense because I think, you know, I guess that's just how, you know, time is, right? Because people are more, they can like, you know, online, they can look for like some of the greatest live performances ever. So then when you compare it to like some like smaller bands or so, it's really tough to, I think, really judge. And people, I think, there's like bands, I feel like that people think, you know, they really are horrible live. But that's probably just because of like, you know, like what they hear and all. I think that's a... I think it really takes, I think, something special to be terrible live, to be honest. I don't think it's, like, you, you're, you, I don't know, like, I, I don't know, like, if it's always true that, there, I know there's probably a ton of bands that are horrible live, and I'm not so sure if, like, you can really judge well, it objectively. Yeah, I mean, there's gotta be, not everyone can be good. I can't <laughs> think of any personally, but, I mean, there is, there is the, um, mental audience element to live performance too where you can fill in the spaces when you're hearing things live but i know like as a three-piece band one thing i wouldn't say we struggle with it but we're conscious of 
is that we can't replicate the same sound that we can in the studio just because we've got one guitar which is often overdriven or clean so we, it's never like this big fuzz that fills up a lot of space we usually have very clean bass lines instead of like super fuzzy you know like green day type oh, okay fuzz yeah, on the bass yeah so it's i wouldn't say it's hard to sound big but it's definitely hard to sound as big as we can in a studio setting no actually though i agree because even with those bigger like trio bands you know like uh like um like nirvana and green day and all that like they they still like need to like add like there's like an extra guitarist on sometimes on those parts or it's like you know they're just putting in like they may have a rip but they also have a lead in it obviously you can't really do both simultaneously if you're in a three-piece band you're gonna right and yeah in the studio a lot of the times well it's almost all the time now uh every guitar part is double tracked so you have a slightly different effect on it so maybe you have overdrive the first time you do it and then you just add a little bit more distortion the second time and then the two performances get put as one so you interpret it as one guitar part but it's really the same thing played twice and then you might have a lead over it which is sometimes doubled there's often acoustic guitar that's played very lightly underneath just for an extra percussive element so there's there's a lot that goes into the studio side that really just can't get replicated live unless you're doing these backing tracks with you or like if say you're i would say it's easier if you're like a four piece or a five piece compared to like a trio yeah the more people there the more you can fill out the sound which kind of gives just that whole mental um confidence that you're gonna you know sound big yeah definitely i think like i I guess that's why like you i I respect like the trio or like two piece bands because it's like you know that takes a there's a lot of like work and effort you have to do like especially live you know like you i think you tend to respect those bands more because it's just you know what they gotta put in i guess right yeah uh just uh i really do like um i don't know like i guess like when it comes to to rock i think that's something that i think that's always going to be a challenge now just you know when things change i think sometimes it feels like rock me sometimes being like dead last you know yeah, it's falling out of favor a little bit, though it also depends on what countries you're looking at or what regions of our country or regions of other areas. Because obviously pop has swept through the world. Like, There's a lot of Latin American pop coming out, a lot of like the K-pop stuff, you know, over in Korea. Um, obviously, we're a huge pop culture country. But there's people that are hungry for rock and roll and jazz and, I mean, even countries evolved. But there's still people Mm -hmm. creating that old, like, 70s sounding country, like Hank Williams type. Um, But there's there's an audience audience for everything everywhere. It's just, it kind of pales in comparison to what gets force-fed down our throats and who's buying into it. Yeah, I guess so. Like, it's... Oh man, like I guess that's the that's the thing I guess, you know, because like in terms of the ceilings you can go, I guess as like a band or so, it's like I think now it could you can go I think higher than ever, but I think the problem sometimes is just the industry isn't really to is isn't really willing to, you know, a lot of times work with you basically. Right. Yeah, and I don't know where we left off on the first day. I don't know what cut out, so hopefully I'm not repeating myself. But a lot of A&R's 
will not even take a chance on something unless it's a guaranteed thing. So that's why we have so many pop artists because they know there's a built market for that. You know, they're not the most loyal fans. They they live for the song. They don't live for the artist. I mean, that's again just a generalization. That's not specific to everybody. But um they know that if they sign a pop artist, there's already a fan base there that will likes that type of sound and then they'll be able to ingest it and they'll buy it and they'll make a load of money off that. If they're looking at a new rock artist, since we're on that topic of rock and roll, they're they're a little bit timid, you know, about signing them because if they're a flop, they're axed. They're not staying at that label anymore. They just lost their job, which is crazy that you're not allowed to have any mistakes, but that's the way it runs. So that's why you really have to be into more of an indie and alternative scene to find these other sounds. I guess so, like... Yeah, like, I don't know if we were talking about this, but I think I remember, like, mentioning, like, all these sort of labels, I think. What helps now is that the la- major labels, I don't think, like, they they still gatekeep some things, but I think it's a lot tougher for labels now to really gatekeep a sound, because, like, you can make your own indie label, or you can just be independent, right, and, like, make your own music, uh, and it, it it's free from, like, any, like, sort of compromise or so. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something, like, I respect about... uh. Uh, just um, just in general, independent artists or artists that started off as like more independent, uh, basically. Like I think like I think by the end of I think in the other recording we were talking we were getting to like emo rap and stuff, and well that just was I think I remember that I was saying that was just like another point to prove where I don't think like necessarily like those types of generalization can type, can really stick because I think there, there's a fair amount like. Going back to that, there was a fair amount of female fans that do like emo rap or so. Yeah, and then there is, there's a cycle to what people like to listen to. You know, maybe we are headed back in a Nirvana direction where it's just kind of like, okay, we're tired of the same thing being everywhere. And I think we are. It's just there's there's a lot of people on our planet. So yeah. it's it's really hard to, to know everything, you know. I, I don't mm-hmm. really... Uh, I'm just go by what I've noticed and what I've been told. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I, I like that though. Uh, the reason why like, I think maybe this may happen sooner than we think is with that with what happened with the emo rap direction. Now, sadly, there, in terms of that type of genre, um, there's sadly been like you know a fair amount of deaths within it, and it sort of reminds me, I guess, of like a way. Obviously, like there are different styles, of course. Like when it came to grunge as well, but it was very infamous too for some of the deaths in that scene too like you know obviously there's Kurt Cobain but there was also um got the the, the name but he was the lead singer in uh, Mother Love Bone I don't know if you heard of them but yeah I know of them but I don't I didn't know any of the band members by name yeah but like their their lead singer was like he died um you know Lane Staley and even now recently sadly Chris Cornell as well like uh, I think that's something that can be very tragic about certain genres. They're no more for, say, a death of an artist than necessarily always the sound that's been given. Yeah, got it. That's a little dark, but, like, I don't know, like, like going back to, like, emo rap, I guess, I just, like, I could see even just that's where maybe even some, like, rock artists could maybe go in that direction, or maybe we'll see, like, newer rock artists, like, incorporate some of that style or so, because I, I don't know. Yeah, I, incorporating it, some rap into their... Not just rap, but like say like the the production. Not necessarily they're rapping now, but like some of the some of the production tricks. I think like 
I wouldn't be surprised though. Like I know I think it's happening more now. Is like, like you could argue like say Imagine Dragons sort of did this too. They had some trap production to their newer stuff on Evolve. But I like I, I don't know. I like I, I guess this is just my mind thing. I was just I've always I had like this idea of like maybe instead like having like you know the electronic trap sound maybe have a drummer do those parts instead and just play around and see where it goes to so are you just talking about with production on the drum sounds like i i know that that does get done like even if you look back to like 99 when the strokes put out is this it like almost every track the drums have were mixed in a way that gave them an electronic kind of like trap element Hmm. so i don't know if that's gone away because i think especially within hip-hop i think a lot of drummers actually will play some of those parts like within that and r&b but then they just kind of get produced in a way that sounds like it was just done by a beat maker you know in like logic or pro tools or anything like that oh yeah that's interesting too because i know like for a while like especially in the older days with hip-hop they did they did more of those live sounds now but i feel i guess it's harder to tell now because of how production can be actually like i guess like and yeah no one really sees behind the scenes unless you're in the scene you know yeah so i mean this could all just be speculation yeah that's that's true definitely like i don't know i guess like if you want to go more to hip-hop now it's like uh like, are you, like, a fan at all? I know some um, people can... Uh, no, you know, I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but there's a lot of good hip-hop drummers. Like, Tony Royster Jr. is incredible, and he I know he plays live with a bunch of people. I think he even toured with, like, Katy Perry. Wow. But um, he, he gears towards the hip-hop side of things, and I'm pretty sure, like, he's been in the studio, and he'll lay down the grooves. Like, for these incredible drummers... They know how to just sit back and give the tight groove, and then the producer can do whatever they want with it after. But I'm not saying this is for all hip-hop artists, but I think there is a population where they will have a live drummer come in, and then they just do what they have to to get the right sound. I guess that's interesting. That's something. Like, that's why I, like, I was thinking of like trying to maybe go more to... Like in terms of producing and all, I would I want to like learn more about like that's just the hip hop production and style and all because I've like I've always re- I think that's something I really liked about um trap is just the the beats and all or something that always interested me mm-hmm. and I think that's something that uh, sometimes you know when it comes to eras of hip hop remember there was a time where their things were definitely a bit more lyrical but sometimes the beats weren't even that great. You know, and I I guess like you know I know I'm, I've heard like Eminem being intentional about picking like the worst beats ever, so he can like make sure his lyrics like get paid more attention to, or so. But I do think like beats are important in a sound because it's like if you if it's like under like just noise that doesn't really. Yeah, well, it, it all depends on its purpose. So, if if it fits the song and it's not very interesting, then it's a good beat. But if it's just boring and it doesn't really add anything to the song then maybe it could have had a little bit more interest you know so everything is kind of subjective to to what's needed by the song i guess so yeah like like i'm thinking now when it comes to some producers in terms of the raps yeah um there's uh there's ronnie J. he uh he had his like he has his very own style like uh some he like sometimes likes to add like a lot of like distorted bass over the beats or um 
he can do like the standard stuff too because with ultimate it felt it it sounds a bit standard like uh there's a few like very interesting parts in ultimate uh it's by denzel curry i remember there's a thing there was like steel drums implemented into that and it just worked so well with like denzel curry's delivery and just the the flow that he had on the song that like i that's something i liked about roddy g i think like he he's really solid at just pre at production that i think he just works really well with what the artist like has in mind and i think that's cool. really tough to do yeah i'll have to check him out yeah i guess like well that's a recommendation right there is ultimate um by uh denzel curry if i'm if i'm gonna give you like more of a of a style where he was using more distorted bass there's a song uh take a step back uh this was with a uh, xxx satashio and ski mask uh, the slump god um uh, well x well sadly passed away but that was a, it's very much, like, that song basically reminds me of, like, I think just, like, a hardcore song where you can just, like, mosh to it, basically, because that's, like, like, the bass is really heavy, and just the, the more, like, scream-oriented vocals that uh, X was doing on that just really adds a lot of energy to that song. Uh, I really like that about uh, Take a Step Back, and there's some other production where he does that as well, where he, when you add that distorted bass, and I think that's really cool. I, I, I do wish, like, more artists would use that in their tool. I guess, like, it's tougher to do that for a more mainstream audience to add, like, distorted bass, but that's something I respected about that. That more, like, back when I think, like, like, it wasn't necessarily emo rap, per se. I think that's just more, like, where underground rap was for a time. But, uh, I, like, I wish that was, like, more incorporated again. Um, when, because a lot of these artists are more big now, and they don't really have a need necessarily to be have it be distorted they're trying to make more songs that can appeal to a lot of people now basically yeah and you wonder how much of that is their own artistic decision and how much is influence because i mean in the end if you do end up making money off of your music if you sign to a major label or anything like that then money becomes the biggest focus and it almost the business side of things kind of takes precedence over the art so you never know like who's telling these artists what to do or if it's their own decision you know to change what their sound is yeah no like uh actually with x i think his was very unique though in terms of uh in terms of what he was doing like he wasn't like I don't. I would argue he definitely wasn't pigeonholed in the genre. He did like so many different styles. Like his older stuff, he definitely went lend more towards, uh, I think, the heavier stuff at times. But he did occasionally would release some more like softer, even like some more like, like old school hip hop styles. Like he can do a lot of different uh, things. I think that's really like the thing that I respect about X is because I feel like there's certain rappers where they just do like one thing, or certain artists in general they can just do one thing. But I liked about X was like he was super versatile. Everything you do, even when he got like a a major label signing, he wasn't really even major label. Like he was a, I think he signed either Columbia or Capital. It was a very great deal. I think like around ten million or or so. Actually, wow. it's really good. Uh, well, yeah, and then the those deals are just kind of it's like the labels acting as a bank because mm -hmm. they expect that money back with interest. You yeah, know? of course. Like yeah. here's ten million to get your tour together to get a bunch of CDs printed and sent out. Yeah. But so I mean it's it's an investment for them, but that's wow, ten yeah. million is a 
pretty big deal. Yeah, I think so. Um, pretty big record deal. I think it was an... I don't think he was just like he was... I, I don't think... He, I think it was more for distribution, I think, though, than anything else. He still, like, had, like, creative control of what he got to do. There was, like, no, like, label, like, forcing him to make this one type of song. Like Right. Well, and then yeah. they are... Labels are fairly hands-off. They want to do as little work as they have to. They want you to do all the work. But if what they're hearing isn't a guarantee to them that it's going to appeal, that's when they'll step in. Okay. So it's, like I said, like they, they're a huge marketing tool for these artists, but they're mostly just like a bank. It's like, here's a loan, get a tour together, make some more money. We want this money back. Plus like, I don't know, like 2% interest, whatever. So they, well also there's, there's contracts that are signed too. So they make, certain profits on um on the records and stuff like that because they own the the record copyright the physical copyright mm-hmm. for it yeah so it, it's a very complicated convoluted business jeez but yeah i think there's a i guess i guess there's more reason now why people like you know do it independent stuff you know because yeah. that type of stuff it also can be really horrible too because sometimes the labels when at a certain point when they only care about the money they don't even really care about what the artist may have like the they may not even care about the well-being of the artist or like if they're even like good or or at all like I'm like I remember there's like the example of like uh, there's this rapper TK that he he's in prison now and he like he got involved in, he was involved in a lot of like gangster activity but the, the label really didn't care you know he had the song race that was like really huge and then mm-hmm. afterwards they just throw him away and i think that's i think that's just in general very like a, such an unethical thing to yeah. do though. well they're they're not invested in them as humans you know yeah they're not invested in their artists on a personal level they're i mean they're businesses you know yeah they've just got a money is the priority so i mean that's kind of what you gotta expect <laughs> if you're going into it yeah, but like I think, I think that's just it's just to me in that situation it's like it's, it's crazy that this was an industry that's like still continuing because if you want to look at another example if uh, I'll go there with R Kelly as well it's like, God that guy is not a great person, you know but like the labels are fine with it for years because like money, right you know well it's just like, the plastic and oil industries you know. We already know that there's alternatives for it, but we're so stuck in a, in what we developed, you know, in the fifties, like we thought plastic was the, the best thing. It was cheap to make and you can put anything in it. You could use it to make anything. But now we know that there's just a crap ton of plastic all (laughs) over the world. that's not breaking down. And we know that all the, the, um, greenhouse gases, that are being created from fossil fuels that are being burned. And we have clean energy now. We have easy access to, like, solar panels and wind energy. But these two, I mean, just these two, for example, like plastic and oil, they found a way to make money, and they're so powerful right now that they're not going to go anywhere. They're going to fight, you know, to their last breath. I guess that, that's just the crazy thing about, I guess, like, the old school businesses. I guess that's why... Uh... It's going to be a little... I think it may take a little longer because I know people were thinking about, like, you know, cable is going to die or, like, this is going to die or something. It's like, realistically speaking, if they have money, they'll probably try to find a way to preserve themselves for as long as they could until eventually there's a breaking point where it's like they're not even worth it anymore to even pursue. 
Right. Well, I that's guess. why. Yeah, that's why labels are getting into streaming services. You know, they want to have their hands on everything, and they know what they got to do to stay alive. Yeah, I guess that's like that's just a lot of businesses, though. But I guess like it makes more sense with the label, too, because uh, yeah, like they gotta be careful now, because like you can, like people are like like on YouTube now can are giving like tutorials and stuff of how to do this stuff without a label. You know, they're trying, like, it's basically just trying to cut out the middleman. I think that's a, that may be a middleman that eventually does get cut off. Maybe there'll be specific parts that's, that stay. Maybe, like, there may be, you, maybe you will still have a manager of sorts. Yeah, but, I think yeah. we'll find a common ground because you need money to make money. So, really, the artists that are able to find their audience without the help from a label are very good with social media and marketing. You know, you have to treat yourself as a business and you have to advertise yourself that way. Which, like, in a way, sometimes the music has to take a, a back row seat to that. You know, but I think that it's usually these artists that do that anyway are the ones that get picked up by a label. Because they see, oh, they already did all this work, we don't really have to do anything. You know, all we have to do is put our paws on it and then we're making cash. Yeah, I guess, like, uh, the perfect example is, like, Slipknot, right? Like, they had this whole big concept, right? Now, the music, I would say, is very solid. Even, like, their the latest album is really good. But, they, you know, they had to put a ton of work into the, to the image. And, it's you know, like, the music videos are very iconic as well as, like, the music as well. Mm-hmm. I think that's what I, that's what, that's what I really respect about Slipknot is that they, they didn't, like, sacrifice the music. You know, they, they still, like, they cared about basically everything. That's what... I think the best artists can do is that they care about everything that they do instead of just uh, yeah. One well, thing. and then they were signed what early two thousands, right? Yeah. They, well, no, I think late nineties actually. Uh, to Road Runner. Nineties. Yeah, late nineties. Like ninety nine was when uh, their their debut album came out. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean they they were kind of coming in at a good time where the grunge bands were like knocking down walls. They're like, hey, people want imperfection, and they well. Well, there goes the lights. Wow. <laughs> um, here, if you stand up and wave, Hi. they might come back on. Maybe not. Goodness. Um, but anyway, there. I feel like there's a little bit more room for them to keep their own identity. But also, they probably would have done fine today, too, because it seems like every artist needs a gimmick. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I'm not... I don't know too many pop artists, but just thinking back to, like, some performances that I've seen by, like, Nicki Minaj. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I can't even think of who else made like Katy Perry, Lady Gaga. They're all just these crazy weirdos. But it's like it's almost like you need some kind of weird shtick to be considered an artist. Yeah, no, that's definitely the case. Uh, I definitely think the Lady Gaga I think is the one that pushes it the most. And that's why like I respect Lady Gaga for that reason the most out of like all of them. Uh but yeah, like I guess you got to like give credit to a uh, you know, it's weird. I would argue, um, I know I, I don't know if people have ever made this argument. I feel like new metal in general, especially with Korn, really like, really is what like changed. I think modern music for like forever. Are you talking honest. about their older stuff or once they started doing all that dubstep? Dubstep? No, their old school stuff. I'm talking about the old school because like, like, you know, that's by that point it was more they were following a trend. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, you know, they started trends. You know, they were the they were the originators of new metal and. In terms of that style, yeah, they yeah, were. Yeah, and was it Ray Lozier? That's is that the drummer's name? Ray. Oh well, he. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like, the new drummer. He, 
Oh, okay. That's their new drummer. Their old drummer, David Silvera, was really good. Okay, I thought he was with them the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> that Their old stuff kind of goes along with that trap sound you're talking about. Yeah, no, definitely. Like, they, they had a lot of, like, different influences that made them work really well. And, like, I think what worked as well is just their style. I guess you can... I can I think you know there's still an argument with grunge too but I think new metal was just I think just a, a bit more direct. It wasn't always about like the metaphors and all. It was just about like you know, it was about the emotion and about what's a feel. Obviously like at a certain point it got very like overplayed out, but I think that's just what happens with a lot of genres. It's like it's either they die young or like they get overplayed to death that eventually like they're dead and then you know, years later there's people that may like the artist still like I I still like a generally a fair amount of the artists from that scene. Not, not all of them. I think some have an age as well. But yeah, I love new metal for that reason. Like it's yeah. Well, it's some great artists. some artists evolve their sound to match the times. Others have a timeless sound. You know. Yeah. Like, um, I know they're not touring anymore and they're not making music anymore. But Rush is an example I can think mm-hmm. of, is how they were like that prog rock, almost like metal but like you know 70s metal yeah <laughs> definitely. metal wow. scene but they kept a solid fan base for like 45 years and then they're just like hey we're in our 60s and 70s we kind of want to retire yeah you no know? but they're even though their sound move i wouldn't say it changed dramatically it definitely changed as the mm-hmm. times it is kind of the same with metallica where they had that super clean sound in the 80s but then they got into the 90s and they started getting a little bit dirtier than their 2000s stuff has a little bit more grit to it. But overall, like, you listen to these artists and you can tell that they, they their only influences were themselves, their artistic mm-hmm. um, choices, and they were able to maintain strong fan bases. Yeah, I guess, um, I don't know, that's an interesting thing to say about Metallica is their 80s stuff was clean I th- I would I think it was still pretty like it was pretty heavy and like yeah it was like, heavy but if you listen to like guitar tones and mm. the the reverb choices around the vocals and vocal harmonies that are behind what he's singing like it's very studio production maybe like Kill Em All was a little bit yeah, dirtier because like, of yeah. they didn't have the star power. Mm-hmm. But Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, those two albums are very, very studio driven. Oh yeah, like I guess that's the thing about uh, I guess some of the more iconic albums is that the production really, you know, it does matter a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if the production isn't great, then it's like it can definitely like hinder an album like a ton, uh, for sure. So I can definitely see that though with Metallica now, like just just looking back, like. I don't know. I guess like I'm so used to thinking of thrash as like uh, it's it was a lot more dirtier, you know, compared to hair metal and like certain bands. Like I think more like Slayer and all they they weren't always the most clean band in the world. So mm-hmm. well, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not like the Scorpions where like every guitar line yeah. is harmonized, yeah. but there's still like you can hear a whole bunch of production around what they were putting out. Yeah, no, definitely. I love that. Uh, I just love that about I think metal in general. Uh, it doesn't really matter the genre to me. Um, yes, I know there's a, there definitely are people that don't necessarily like every genre, but I, I, I always like metal for that reason. Like it, it pushes like the limit in some way of what you can do. Even like, like I would argue hair metal like pushed like what was like, you can what what can be heavy on the radio and all. You know, like mm-hmm. there's like, I feel like some way you know certain genres they they definitely have a their place and. You know, and you gotta, I feel like you gotta generally, you gotta respect, I think, 
the genres to some degree. I don't think like giving like hierarchy systems or tier lists to them is a little bit productive, to be honest, in my opinion. That's why I like. Yeah. Well, I yeah. I think it's just based on consumption is mm-hmm. where these these uh, hierarchy thoughts come from that you're talking about. Um, but yeah, you should respect every genre for what it is. It's good that we have a variety of music. Yeah, like, like, well, this show is, like, you know, it's called Transcending Genres and that, whatever, but I think the important thing is that, like, you know, we're here to, like, I hope, personally, that we're, that I'm able to, like, bring different types of people together, you know, on this show, you know, this is a, it sounds like some, like, 60s, like, hippie dreamer, like, from John Lennon, but, like, I, I know he really wanted to make the world a better place, and I'm hoping, in a way, I can do that and, like, bring people together and instead of division, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you're. There's gonna be a lot of people that easily buy into that and live it already. There's gonna be other people that need some convincing, but it's cool what you're doing. Yeah, all right. I think you know uh, this is. I think a good place to end it here. Um, thank you so much, Alex. Uh, yeah. Sorry that uh, the rest of the our conversation it was really good though. I don't know, like maybe we want to continue this another time or so but okay yeah i'm yeah. sorry i wish i could remember what we discussed and where we left off i know God, uh hopefully we didn't lose too much steam after the first half yeah i think this was good i think uh we went into some more different directions and i think uh, i think people will like this i hope so yeah yeah please please give it a like you guys uh, I, I don't okay i don't think well i i hope i can get it onto youtube uh but yeah um just this like i i guess the same as before you know if you want to be on the show, uh, transcendinggenres at gmail.com or, you know, message us on Instagram. Also follow uh, Transcending Genres, too. And our podcast will be pretty much, like, anywhere you find it. And so, um, Alex, if you have anything to, to plug in, now's the time. Uh, yeah, listen to the Steadwells. You can find us anywhere. Anywhere you can find music, you can find us. All right. Uh, well, thank you so much, Alex. Yeah, you got it. All right, let's... Uh, I remember the oh, slap. Yeah. Slap over. Good thing yeah. you remember that. That was better than last time, too. All right. Yeah, that's going to be the new uh, way we end the show now. Yeah, We're just the show slap. closer is the hand slap. The slap. All right. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode. I know some of you guys are lazy, though, so here's a bit of the Steadwells for you right now. I really like them. I hope they put out an album soon. So, yeah, here you go. <laughs>